Hi everyone, it's Melissa Pemberton here, host of Mending Families, where we will talk all things parenting, trauma, and healing. Hello everyone, welcome to Mondays with Melissa. Um, Today I'm excited because I'm actually going to share with you guys my story and give you a little bit of insight into why I do what I do and who I am today because of what I experienced early on in my life. So I am going to let you know, though, that my childhood was rough and I will be talking about domestic violence and some things that um, you probably don't need to have your young children listening to. So if you have young children, maybe put in your AirPods, your earbuds, your headphones, whatever you have, um, or just listen at a different time. So this is a follow-up from my conversation with Haley last week, where she shared about her experience. And I am now going to share my experience of kind of what my childhood looked like and what led up to me um, having Haley. Okay. So I'm just going to jump right in. So I was actually raised in a two-parent Christian household. My mom stayed home, so we never had to go to daycare. I have two sisters. I'm the youngest, and so I have two older sisters. Um, my uh, my sister Julia is actually just 13 months older than me, and then my sister Stephanie is four years older than me. So there was three of us in a short window of time. <laughs> but yeah, I think on the outside, it appeared like we were the all-American family. We went to church. We you know, had a, had a decent house. Our, our needs were met. Um, but inside behind the closed doors, it was chaos. My dad had schizophrenia. And so he, life was unpredictable for us each and every day. And my mom did the best to just really, um, try and provide the emotional stability and, physical stability and just, just be there for us. But, um, honestly, now that I'm an adult and I can understand the world from a different point of view, she was most likely in survival herself. And so, yeah, our childhood was very chaotic, unpredictable. Um, if you don't know anything about schizophrenia, there were moments where my dad would hear voices or he would see things and, Um, was very paranoid. And so when he was not on medication and not quote unquote doing well, he would experience these symptoms. And as a child, that was very scary, especially when the hallucinations or the voices that he was hearing, he thought were aimed at us or us, or somehow we were involved in that. And then we would get you know, kind of become a part of whatever he was experiencing in not a good way. So uh, very scary to live that way for quite a while. Um, Experience a lot of scary things that a child should never have to experience or see just from things that were, you know, seeing my mom have to put up with some physical abuse from him when he was not well um, to, you know, just that constant yelling and fighting and aggression and even moments where we would be hurt. And again, I know now as an adult that that was his mental illness that was leading to that. It wasn't that he was intentionally deciding that he was going to hurt my mom or hurt us or be a scary individual. That was just what he was faced with inside of his own mind. And I'm sure that was scary for him as well. Um, But as a child, 
that didn't make any sense. He was my protector, but then he wasn't. (laughs) And, you know, it just was really confusing. And so that in a nutshell, that was my childhood. That is what I lived with day in and day out, my sisters and all, and I, and to be honest, I know that all three of us had different lenses with how we saw our, our childhood. And so this is just my perspective. So I just want to be clear about that, that this is from my perspective. This is what I experienced. So my dad was hospitalized a large part of my childhood off and on. And, you know, we would go visit him there at the hospital and that was very scary. I did not like it. I didn't like to go there. It had a a smell that even now, every once in a while, I will smell that it, almost like a hospital smell, but a little bit different. And it brings me back. And I, I did not enjoy that. And so that that's one thing that I wish that we had not been taken to see him there because it also was scary in the sense that there was other patients who were not doing well. And there was lots of screaming and yelling. Again, these, these individuals were there to get help, but I don't believe that as a child, we should have been brought into that environment, but it is what it is. And that did happen. And so I experience the results of that now within my body. Like I mentioned, the smells and sometimes even just different things remind me of that. And it, and it brings me back to that place, but thank goodness for therapy, right? I do have very few childhood memories and I believe that I probably dissociated or, or something like that to protect myself uh, because I really don't remember a lot. And, you know, Haley talked about that last week as well, that she has very few memories of her childhood. And there, that is something that I can relate to with her in the sense that things that I think are my memories are maybe actually just stories I've heard or pictures I've seen. And I've just come to realize that that's how it is. I also, there's, there will be times where one of my sisters will tell tell a story or my mom will ter- tell a story about something that happened and and maybe I do have a memory or I think I have a memory but it's very different than their memory and again that is because we all experienced those moments from our own lens and so for me I just don't have a lot of positive memories I never really felt protected by the adults in my life who were supposed to keep me safe. I did have my mom's grandparents who we called Amy and Bumpa. I do think that they were one of those people that that were there to protect me and I can remember even one time that my grandma you know, was not afraid to yell at my dad and say, you may not take these kids. And even as he's driving away down the driveway with us in the car, she is running after the car trying to protect us. And I can remember that. And so it's not that none of the adults in my life were protective. It was just the daily adults in my life. I didn't feel like I was protected. And it was that, I already said this, but the idea that like, These people are supposed to protect me, but then they are the ones that are scaring me. That was really hard. My parents did get a divorce eventually after 17 years. And my mom is probably one of the strongest, bravest women that I know. The fact that she's hung in for 17 years is just miraculous in itself. And so I was 12 when they got a divorce. That was interesting too, just We had to go visit my dad on the weekends. That was just part of the parenting plan. I think it was like every other weekend or something. Even that was like, why are we sending 
as an adult now, I'm like, why are we sending these kids to go stay with this individual who is not well? He was not in a space where he should be in charge of three kids, even though we were older. Um, it just, that made no sense to me. So for whatever reason that it is what it is, but that was not a great time either. And then when I was 15, um, my mom did start to date a new guy and Initially, he seemed to be fine and all of that. But when I was a junior in high school, we moved out of my childhood home that I had known for almost my whole life since first grade. I was the only one left too. My other sisters had already moved out and they were older. And so I was a junior in high school and we moved in with him to his house, me and my mom. And he was an alcoholic (laughs) and I never felt good enough for him. He was always belittling me. Yeah, he would say really demeaning things to me that were not kind. So I worked really hard to get approval outside of the home. I was a cheerleader. I was on honor society. Um, I played the piano for the choir. I was in jazz choir. I uh, worked two jobs um, and did running start. And it still just didn't feel like that was good enough. I started to rebel and partied a lot. Um, I got drunk a lot. I was promiscuous. There were times where I would wake up and not really know how I got to where I was. And it was really doing anything to numb the pain from my childhood. Yeah, to to numb the, the hurt that I felt towards my mom. Like you, and again, my mom and I are in a great place now. And so this is not how I feel currently. This is just speaking as a 17 year old thinking my mom didn't protect me from my dad. And now my mom is not protecting me from her boyfriend. And it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. Really at that time in my life, my best friend Tana seemed to be the only person who was my constant and who was there for me no matter what. And even her family was really more, I saw them more as my family than my own family. So I just felt empty inside and I felt like there was nothing I could do to fill that hole. And so when I was 17, I moved out on my own and me and my best friend, Tana, we got our own apartment. I wanted to live on my own as a 17 year old in high school, working two jobs, doing running start, doing all the things. Um, I, I preferred that over staying in this home with this alcoholic man who was very belittling and not kind. And, um, I just didn't feel safe there. And so, so there I am 17 on my own. Um, we have an apartment and I just still continued was just to look, looking for someone to love me, for someone to care about me, something that would make me feel good. And so when I was 18, so shortly after I graduated high school, I chose to be in a relationship with a man who really had no respect for me from the beginning. Um, he, he definitely wooed me and um, love bombed me and made me feel really good, but it didn't last long. But at that point, I was still just like looking for something to fill my emptiness I I went after it and, um, he had, you know, his own history, his own, yeah, he had his history of some criminal activity, um, his own history of his own difficult childhood. 
so for me, I was like, well, I can't really, instead of, instead of seeing it as like, yeah, I am better than this. It was more like, who am I to judge? My childhood also sucked. And I also have my own dark shadows from my past. So who am I to judge? He, I, I am no better than him. And so I, I just kept, kept going after it. And I had only known him for six weeks when I found out I was pregnant. Um, I had just finished my first quarter at, in college and was going for music, music education. I wanted to be a high school choir teacher and now life was just spiraling out of control because now I'm pregnant and what am I going to do? So I can remember sitting on the floor of my shower just crying and sobbing and feeling so lost and alone and took three tests because I just didn't want to believe it. It was every single one was positive. So I, and I actually carried that pregnancy test in my pocket for weeks, hoping that one time, one time I would take it out and it would be negative. Like that would change things for me. And obviously that didn't happen. When I told my mom, she cried and I can imagine how heartbroken she was, but the hard part about it is the way I felt seeing her cry actually made me happy. It actually made me feel good that I did something to make her sad, almost like a revenge type feeling. And it, you know, it's really hard for me to say that now. And it makes me feel really sad because I'm a mama, but that's where I was. That's, that's where I was. So my mom was as supportive as she could be. She threw me a baby shower and some of my family came, but the support was very minimal and she did help me on the surface, but I desperately just wanted someone to rescue me and wanted someone to just swoop in and make it all better. Um, I never really felt a lot of support from my extended family, just a lot of judgment. I had one aunt and uncle who were always supportive and so amazing. Um, and they were always there for me. And then my mom did her best. My sisters were supportive. My grandma, Amy, she was as supportive as she could be. The extended family on my dad's side, it, it just, it was really heartbreaking to not have the support from them and to feel so judged by them. My boyfriend's family, they were all very excited for me very excited for this pregnancy, very excited to have a baby. Um, they were very happy for me and that felt like support. And so I ended up moving in with his family and I lived there. And from the moment that I moved in there, it felt wrong, but I honestly didn't feel like I had any other choice. I didn't feel like there was anybody else and they were happy and excited for me. And so isn't this support, isn't this what it should feel like? Um, but it just didn't feel wrong and or it didn't feel right, but I didn't know how to get out. And I didn't feel like there was anywhere else that I could go. So here I am living with him and his family and I'm three months pregnant and my boyfriend gets in trouble with the law again. And I spent the rest of my pregnancy by myself because he was in jail and so it was just me living with his family. Um, I can remember lying to the doctor and saying that he was out of town on business. I was so ashamed, so ashamed. And I knew like, this is not the life I want to be living. I don't want to be lying about my baby's 
dad being in jail because I'm so ashamed. Like, what is this? But I just felt trapped. I felt like this was the light. This was the hand I was dealt. This is what I'm going to be doing. And so, yeah, I was just so ashamed. I dropped out of college that first year. And so I only finished two quarters of my first year of college. And I never thought I would go back. I thought that was it. I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to ever be able to do what I had always hoped and dreamed I would do. Uh, so Haley was born then when I was 19 and my mom and my Amy and, um, some good friends, my Tana and her family, they were all there and it was very supportive. Um, I cried and was so overwhelmed by the feeling of love that I had for Haley when they laid her on my chest. I never, at least consciously in my memories, however you want to say it, I had never experienced that kind of love. And the moment that they laid her on my chest, I was just like overwhelmed with that pure, unconditional love for my child. And it was such a foreign feeling to me. Um, this child loved me no matter what, even in my darkest moments. Um, and I never had to do anything to earn her love or to deserve her love. She came out, she came into this world loving me and it just felt so new. Um, so I cried, <laughs> I cried a lot when I left the hospital I went back to living with his parents and I kind of just started to figure out how to survive. I, yeah, I was making life choices that I didn't think I would ever make trying, you know, being dishonest about, um, getting help from the government and, you know, trying to figure out, I was learning new ways to like, how, what do you say to the state to get the most out of welfare? How to lie to get free food from food banks. I was in survival. Listen, please don't ever judge people who do these things because they're in survival. And I, I was just trying to figure out how to go day by day and make sure that I did not lose my daughter because the love that I had for her was beyond anything that I had ever experienced in my life. And I needed, I needed that. Um, it was really unhealthy. Um, but that's what I needed. I learned how to take out payday loans. Never thought I would do that. Didn't even know what they were, but I learned how to take out payday loans so that I could buy stuff that I probably didn't actually need. Um, and I started to build this toolbox full of harmful parenting skills. In that, I continued to choose to stay in an abusive relationship and live an abusive lifestyle. He is an addict. And so I didn't really get what an addict lifestyle is until I lived with him. And it was so scary, but I learned a lot. I just, he continued to control my life. He controlled my, what I wore. He controlled um, who I hung out with, what friends I had. And he can, he, he took advantage of me. He was abusive in every sense of the word, physical, emotional, sexual, but I was so afraid of being alone. I was so afraid of of feeling lonely and not having support that I stayed. And 
now that I'm healthy, it doesn't make sense. But in that moment, it made sense. It made sense to stay. The support that I thought (laughs) I was getting from him and his family was actually dragging me down and tearing me apart and pulling me away from my authentic self. Um, I thought that then if I married him, that he would come to his senses and things would get better. And so when Haley was seven months old, we got married and we had to get married in the front yard because he was on house arrest. So that was cool. The thing is like those people that I talked about in my family who were supportive, they were all there. The other family, nobody came. My dad did take a bus to come and he was there. And I can even remember getting a phone call from one of his family members before the wedding and asking me questions about Haley's dad and did he have a job and just things that felt very like you, you want to know is he good enough for you to come to our wedding as opposed to your family. And even if we don't agree with this, we want you to feel loved and supported. So that was really gross. It felt really bad. So again, another piece of advice, if you have family members that are making choices that you don't think are great, still show up for them and support them and don't judge them because that's that's not helpful. So all that to say, the minute that um, my now husband was off of house arrest, he took off running again. He would take my car for days, leaving me and Haley stranded. He would steal my debit card two or three times, I would have to call the bank and say, my debit card got stolen again. And again, I lied and did, I don't know who it was, but they got my money. I just felt so ashamed, so ashamed. Haley and I were definitely put in some very dangerous situations um, because of the lifestyle that he was living that then in turn we were living. And if I said anything, I would get yelled at, I would get threatened, Um, He would threaten to take Haley away from me. And I just knew like that, that would be the end if he took Haley away from me. I don't know why I believe that he could, but I did. I believe that he could. And he used her as a threat. And he would remind me that he would say things like, you, you can't do better. Who's going to want to date you? You have a, you know, if you leave me, then you're going to be single the rest of your life. You have a kid. Nobody wants to date someone with a kid, things like that. So I lived in constant fear, not only of him. But of the people that he was around that knew my car, that knew where I lived, and that was scary. Um, But this is what I knew to be love, that no matter what he did to me, I was still supposed to love him. Remember, that's what I learned from my childhood, too, that no matter what happened, I still had to love. That's, that's just how I was raised. That's, that's what was ingrained in me. And I was just patching holes and pretending like it wasn't happening, putting band-aids on things. And I wasn't protecting Haley. And I was doing the same thing that my mom did to me. I was choosing to stay in this relationship that was not safe, that was scary, that she had to experience being afraid for the sake of what? I didn't realize in that moment, like, oh, this is why my mom did what she did. It wasn't until later when I was in therapy that I was able to see that, but I was repeating a cycle. That's what I was doing. So there was, there was one point where I just finally stood up to him and he demanded my car and Haley was, she was still pretty little and he demanded my car. And I said, no, I was not going to give him my car. I was tired of being stranded and left. I I was tired of having to walk two miles to pick her up from daycare and two miles back 
um, it was just, I was done. And so I said no. And he grabbed Haley from me. He did what he, he had threatened. I'm going to take Haley. And she was screaming and she was reaching for me that kicked on mama bear. And so I was able to somehow get her back and I had her in my arms. Um, I tried to leave. It got physical and it was scary. And the, the, the whole time I have Haley in my arms, I was scared and I'm 20. I can't, or 19, 19, 20. I can't imagine how scared she was as this maybe one-year-old. So we left that night. I, I was able to run out the door. I want to say I threw Haley in the car because I probably did. And I drove off and, um, just drove, drove to safety. And we sat in a parking lot and I cried and Haley fell asleep. And I know now that she probably fell asleep because she was trying to protect herself. She was, that's what babies do. They fall asleep to protect themselves. And so she's in the back seat sleeping. I am bawling my eyes out. And so by this point, my mom had left her boyfriend and we were rekindling our relationship. Um, and she was a huge support to me. And so I went to her, I went to her, I drove to her house. She encouraged me to get back to, to go back to school. She welcomed me and Haley. She was reassuring. She encouraged me. You're doing the right thing. And so she, she was a huge support to me, but even after I left him, he still tried to control me. He tried to intimidate me. He broke into our house. Um, me and Haley got our own place and he broke into our house and went through my drawers and called people on my caller ID and threatened them that they can't talk to me. Um, I ended up getting a restraining order and, but you know what? It's just a piece of paper. <laughs> I didn't feel safe. Um, he tried to break in two more times and both times I was home and I called the police and they came out and honestly, they were really fast. They came out fast. And so that was reassuring to me that, um, although the piece of paper really didn't help me feel safe, I knew that because I had that restraining order. And when I called, they showed up and, um, whether that is what scared him away, I have no idea. All I know is that they showed up and we were safe. So I lived in constant fear for months. I did continue to make bad choices though. I was in this pattern of survival. I had, still was in denial that I needed therapy. Didn't really even think that was, you know, at that point, I think it was probably like not, a th not as well talked about. Um, and especially being raised in the church, like, no, you just pray and you ask God to take this away. And, you know, if you're experiencing mental health, it's because you're not praying or your faith isn't strong or whatever, you know? Um, and so therapy just wasn't something I thought about, but I definitely needed it. So I continued to make bad choices. I wasn't doing anything illegal and it wasn't in front of Haley. So I thought this shouldn't matter. I'm living my life while she's at my mom's being babysat and, it doesn't matter. I'm living this lifestyle. This is the lifestyle I choose to live, but I was still looking to like fill that hole. I had no self-confidence. I had no self-worth. Um, I had no self-respect. I didn't feel loved. I was not respecting myself. Um, and so it was kind of like, how can I expect respect from a man if I don't even respect myself? I didn't see the side effects that my lifestyle had until I started, I did go back to college. 
And so when Haley was mm, like 18 months, maybe two, I went back to college for initially education still. Um, but within that first year, I really quickly realized, no, I think I want to do psychology. I, my degree is called Ked Psych, which is childhood education and developmental psychology. Um, and really it was because of my experiences with that abusive relationship and seeing how it affected Haley, that that is what changed me to that path, as opposed to being a choir teacher still. So I was learning so much. I was learning, taking parenting classes, um, because it was required for my degree, reading parenting books. And I realized like I was her only option for a healthy parent. I really was. And I was her biggest influence and I was her role model. And do I want this for my daughter? Do I want her to grow up and be a young adult who also parties and has no self-respect? And do I want that for her? Of course I didn't. And so I knew that it had to start with me. I had to make changes with me first before I could even do anything else. And so, yeah, making changes is difficult. <laughs> I was really mad. I was really mad and bitter about the hand that I was dealt for my childhood. I, especially being raised in the church where it was kind of like, well, I already said what the message is that you hear and then seeing that my dad like never, ever got better. Yet he was probably the most faithful man that I knew, even to the day that he passed away. He loved Jesus. And so that made no sense to me. So I was mad at God because that's what I was told by the church, which thank goodness now I am in a place where I realize like the church has it wrong a lot. And so I know that now, but I didn't at the time. So I was really mad. I still felt empty. I still felt so alone. Um, I was tired of parenting alone. I was tired of living in these cheap, dirty apartments because that's all I could afford. I was tired of being on welfare because honestly, the looks that I would get when I would hand them my um, little government issued debit card, people were judging me. And when I'd go to the doctor with a medical coupon, because back in the day, that's what it was. You would actually have to bring a little medical coupon with you to the doctor. And I just, I got treated differently and I was tired of it. I was tired of being, um, of shopping for Christmas at Goodwill and having to stand in those long lines for the Christmas Bureau, which are all fine. I am so glad that I had those supports and the ability to tap into that stuff because I needed it, but I was tired and I wanted to, I didn't want to do that anymore. So yeah, I took baby steps in that direction, which just looked like me to, relying more heavily on my mom and my family for support. I can just remember like still, I, I realized that the emptiness that I was trying to fill with cigarettes and alcohol and partying and was just really like my lack of love for myself and my lack of ability to see that Jesus loved me and he loved me as I was. Yeah, that that it was okay. And I slowly began to heal and it was, I still wasn't in therapy yet though. That comes way later down the road. 
So this is like, when I say slowly begin to heal, it was more just like these realizations of, honestly, it's probably because my, <laughs> my frontal, my prefrontal cortex, my frontal lobe was actually starting to develop more. Cause by this point I'm like 22, 23, I'm getting closer to that. And I'm starting to realize like, what in the heck, what is actually happening? I have control over this. I can do this. So yeah, so I'm in college now, get learning more about parenting. I go on to get my master's in social work. I end up getting a job at CPS and am a CPS social worker. And two months after I started working there, that is when I met John. Uh, he was just so dreamy with his eyes and I just, he has the best eyes. If you ever meet him, don't look in his eyes because you'll fall in love with him. I'm just telling you. Um, so he transferred a case to me and it was that moment that I was like, I went back to one of my coworkers. I was like, Hey, do you know that guy, John? Cause he's cute. And she's like, yeah, let me, I know him. Let me email him. Um, so long story short, we dated for 10 months and ended up getting married after just 10 months of dating. And we have three or we had two more kids after you kind of heard us, me and Haley talk about that a little bit. So I won't go too much into that, but, um, yeah, so it was really once in my 11 year old Evie, when she was one, that is when I realized I need therapy. And Haley talked about that moment where I had yelled at, um, Kiana and I realized like, what am I doing? I am repeating again. It was that moment where I'm like, I'm repeating. It's this cycle. I'm repeating exactly how I was parented with my kids. And this is not okay. My kids do not need to have what I had. They deserve better. And this is my opportunity to do better for them. And so I did. And so, you know, that was 10 years ago that I went to therapy and I'm still in therapy and I will probably always be in therapy because honestly, there's so much that is just like a part of who I am because of the experiences I had for the first 23, 26 years of my life that were not okay. And nobody should ever have to experience what I experienced. But if I hadn't, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't be have such a heart to help people learn to do better and be better and to break cycles and to stop generational trauma. I wouldn't be as passionate about it if I hadn't experienced what I experienced. And so although it sucks and I have to grieve a lot about the childhood that I didn't get, that I wish I would have gotten, I have to grieve that my own family members judged me and were not kind to me and were hurtful. I have to grieve that um, my dad is no longer on this earth. And although I know that he is in heaven dancing and playing his guitar and singing and laughing because I do remember his laugh, even though I don't really remember what that laugh is connected to. Is it connected to a manic episode? Is it connected to us having fun? I have no idea, but I remember his laugh and I know that he is happy and whole but I have to grieve the fact that I didn't ever get to fully repair that relationship with him and that I didn't get to experience having a dad who loved me unconditionally the way that I love my kids and no fault of his own. It was really because he was a prisoner in his own mind. And so there's a lot that I continually have to work through and process and deal with, um, but that's why I'm here. And this is why I am so passionate about helping others find their own healing 
and start their journey or help them along their journey, however that may be, because of what I experienced. That's where I'm at. This is, this is me. I am now, you know, 15 years into marriage with my amazing husband, John. We have four kids now. We have a beautiful life. Do we still struggle? Yes. Do we still go to therapy? Yes. Do we still have our moments where we have to like refresh on, wait, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yes. But that's, that's real and that's life. And so, um, yeah, there you go. That's my story. I hope that it was inspiring for you. I hope that you took something from it that you can maybe learn from and grow from. If you have questions about how to move forward in your own healing, or you have questions about maybe you're in an abusive relationship, or you had a really hard childhood and you just don't know where to start, please reach out to me. I would be happy to be a sounding board or a cheerleader or um, or even your parent coach. I That is what I love to do. So reach out. You can either email me at melissa at mendingfamilieswa.com. You can shoot me a DM on social media. Um, you can do a contact form on my website. My website is www.mendingfamilieswa.com. Um, all of my social media is Mending Families WA, so you can find me on there too. But I would be happy to just step into your journey with you. That's my heart. So, okay, you guys. So next week, I will be talking to my friend, Claire Thompson, about being a cancer survivor and how she continued to parent through that and what it looked like and what her experience was. Um, so come back for that because it's, it's going to be good. You're going to um, just be so inspired by her story. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. I will see you all again next week. I'm so excited that you found this podcast and I hope you join me every week as you go through your own journey towards healing. One thing I truly believe in is that trauma awareness is so important to our future generations and it starts with you.